32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. My name is Andrea. And this is United United Ireland. Ireland. Every week we take a county and dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world it brings us. This week's county, Fermanagh. And this week's question, what the frack is going on with fracking in Ireland? Thank you very much to our new Patreon supporters. Welcome aboard the good ship, United Ireland. Uh, To everyone else out there who is not yet on board this ship, please dock or board (laughs) now. I don't know, that metaphor ran out of road very quickly. Um, Pull up the anchor on your... (laughs) On your Patreon subscription, <laughs> get this boat afloat. Um, thanks a million to everyone who's come on board, and of course, people who've previously come on board, and also to our OGs. Uh, yeah, you, we've loads of rewards. Andrea, do you want to tell our listeners at the top of the show about those lovely rewards? I do. You have a choice of our lovely totes, which are very high quality, um, which is a big thing for us because. Totes became so disposable, but they're gorgeously designed by Sarah Fox and lovely. But also we add, you can get badges, loads of shit. But the most important thing, I think I forgot to tell you about it, is that you can also get a personalised United Ireland podcast now. So if you sign up for, like, I think it's 95 euro or something, you get your very own episode of United Ireland. So imagine if we took your life and, and framed a question about your life. Like, how much fun would that be? And then delved into an investigation about all of your indiscretions. No, we're not going to do that. It's more like, um, you know, a speech at your 21st or something. Or but just with- <laughs> it could be great if you are a company and would like to do an episode about your company for your employees. Really? Are we doing that? That'd be nice. Okay, let's do that. That would be nice. <laughs> that, that would be nice. Um, yes, any brands or corporate uh, monoliths out there who want us to podcast your life story. Yeah, but we, won't, uh, we don't put it out in public. We only give it to them. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Grant. Yeah, no, obviously. Yeah, we'd only do that. We don't um, the corporate cash unless it's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> At this stage, we'd really like to thank um, Blue Apron and MeUndies. No, uh, thanks for all the reviews that are dropping in on... Apple. Uh, obviously, Andrea is, is continuing her Sherlock Holmes type um, saga with trying to figure out the iTunes charts, which I just don't think you should bother with. But you just seem really invested at this stage. I don't. It's not that I care about them. I just love looking at it to see how it in any way makes sense. And whenever there's no logic involved in something, it, I, it draws me in. So now I'm like addicted um, of course, to soothe any kind of compulsive or addictive behaviours, you can listen to The Sunday Soothe, which you get exclusively when you are one of our Patreon fam. It is a perfect accompaniment to your other Sunday activities, which may include cooking, crying on the couch alone, wondering what you're doing with your life, or indeed listening to Mango's Smoke Breaks and Handbrakes Sunday radio show, which uh, is really great. Shout out to Mango, one of our supporters. It's also very... Um scabby maybe maybe it's not scabby people are like oh my god I just love the Sunday suit so much it's like hey that's that's the sideshow come back to the main shit take the compliment Andrea sorry (laughs) and now what is the state of the nation what's going on well, quiet, quiet news week, really, this week, I suppose. The, the president of America trying to overthrow the president-elect and the election and the democracy in general. Although I have been watching this narrative emerge that he's actually not trying to stage a coup. What he is, in fact, trying to do is to continue raising money from, like, Republican donors and, um, like, all across the nation and to show that they're convinced they're going to have a second term because he's started like um, interviewing for appointments for the second term and everything. It's like, um, did we not get the memo? It's so bananas. Um, So I wonder what you think about that. I think that it is happening. It's kind of, again, it's happening in plain sight and people are just saying, um, oh, and and now Pompeo is like, oh, there'll be a second term and it just feels so weird to see this ambient coup attempt happening and yet 
you know, everyone's just kind of going on as normal. I mean, obviously the Republicans are the most craven people in the world and have no backbone or morals. That's not divisive at all, is it? Well, it's (laughs) kind of true. Half the nation. (laughs) But um, I think, no, the party, the party. Um, And uh, they're concerned now with this Senate race, uh, the runoff which uh, for Georgia, uh, which they need to clinch the Senate. Obviously, we all, we everybody knows everything about the suburbs of Atlanta, um, the demographics of DeKalb County and so on after John King's magic wall. Shout out to Simon Carswell, uh, by the way, in the Irish Times, who managed to track down John King's cousin in Connemara. And uh, there was a picture of his great-great-grandmother uh, in the Times the other day, standing outside some cottage in Connemara. So, you know, it's like he's the new Commander Hatfield, really, isn't he? I'd say Ryan Tuberty's flat out on the phone there trying to get him on. I missed that all went over my head as I made the decision not to engage in media. And I feel like I was like the only person not in the club, like literally everyone's CNN obsessions that I missed out on. But also, speaking of obsessions, uh, Seamus Wolf's obsession with not leaving office is similar uh, narrative. Um, he has uh, been engaging with the Supreme Court Justice and has just decided that he is not going to resign. He, and they have no power over him. Um, and now we are into a very big constitutional problem because the separation of the courts from the government um, is very imperative, but the government will have to um, engage in this saga um, to move it on because he's not leaving and all the other uh, judges want him to go. Mm. Is this what Eamon Ryan meant by bringing wolves back into Ireland? I feel like we need a Seamus Wolf sting. Andrew, can you just lash a little Howl at the Moon vibe in there for a second? Yes, that's a bit of a mess. That is a bit of a mess. I don't um, know how it's going to unfold. Um, well, like, the thing is, I think like the impe- these like an impeachment processes, I don't know if they've ever really been done, but mm-hmm. that he would have to have committed a crime, I think. So I think it would be quite difficult for him to be removed that way. Obviously, the whole, the smart thing to do would just be to walk away. He seems to be arguing over technicalities and it's like, that's kind of not what it's about. It I, doesn't matter if I you can... I also read a narrative that he was financially obliged to stay on um, because he'd be financially ruined or something. And obviously, you can't, well, like, it's very difficult to walk away from a job um, when you feel like you're in the right... Um, I had this exact same scenario when I was working in Centra when I was um, 16. Very similar. Yeah, I really I really relate. Uh, also, people who want other people to leave jobs, uh, the vote of um, confidence in uh, angelic, singular uh, public servant Leo Vradker um, in, uh, was happening on Tuesday night and it just descended into people shouting at each other about uh, what they perceive their parties and motivations to be. Sinn Féin's rhetoric was certainly running out of road in some sense. And I thought the best people were, was it Roisin Shortall? Yeah. And I actually thought Padre Tobin yeah. was very just frank as well in a turn up for the books. You're listening like, oh, I don't really want to agree with you, but I really do. <laughs> I can't believe I'm on, your, I'm on your side, Padre. Yeah, it was absolutely in so many bento bits watching it. It was the discourse was in the toilet. There was literally nothing being discussed. Just people going, well, I'm actually we're actually much of a better parties. Like, oh my god, it's so like petty and parochial, and like you just want something, someone to uplift it. Now, I thought uh, Eamon Ryan brought a little bit of love and light to, to proceedings, and um, maybe didn't like it was. It just kind of was like all these people shouting at each other and saying how great they were and how great Leo was as a, and obviously it's a vote of confidence, but like, how is that going to move things forward? We need some uplifting, positive vision to bring things forward and to get it out of this like regional feeling politics. Hmm. Uh, kind of a, very long problem with uh, Irish parliamentary debate you're identifying there. Um, of course, what will jilt us out of this uh, negative cycle? A good speech cycle, writer. A good speech writer or Wild Mountain Time, uh, this upcoming smash hit Irish film 
in the trailer, like people just keep falling over. Uh, Why don't we just play you a little clip of that? Obviously, you've already seen it, but here we go. Welcome to Ireland. Whatever that is. Rosemary Muldoon. Yeah! Rosemary, we're known to each other quite the while now. Would you marry me? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's going to be uh, one for the Christmas selection box induced coma watching, I feel. Now, Andrea, give us some good news. The good news this week. It's a biggie. We have a potential vaccine nearly ready to rock. I was doing some visioning uh, whilst wandering the plains of nature, trying to discover when I would be in amongst the sweaty bodies of a club. And I decided that it was March. And so it was so bizarre when two days later, the announcement from Pfizer comes out that their vaccine is nearly ready to go. I think we know the secret works now. Well, you did watch the dramatised version of The Secret before playing poker the other night. And where where did you come? Did you come third? Third. Got a well, I mean, that's pretty good. It was a hard game. It was a very tough game. Yeah, lots of sharks uh, swooping in. That's a different yeah. story though, isn't it? But what in the good news, like obviously um, once the vaccine is cleared, then there is also the issue of getting it to people. But then there's also the third issue of this uprising, specifically in Hun world of people who are not going to put that into their bodies because they don't know what it is. Um, which is kind of bizarre given the prevalence of Botox and um other stuff that is going into people's bodies that were that is actually a poison. Um, so <laughs> hopefully there's going to be a, a comms campaign on why this is a good thing. Well, indeed, we'll look forward well, to that. I grew up um, where I grew up. There was a Pfizer factory at the top of my estate. I don't know if that means I get first dibs or. I, Does it? Like uh, if we have if we have all the Pfizer or a lot of Pfizer manufacturing in Ireland, does does that make it easier for us to get the vaccine considering the no, they're not the reals? As far as I know, and I haven't consulted the reals, but I'm pretty sure they're not them. But on the comms thing, I do feel sorry for anyone who has to undertake that because it is a challenge of you have all the anti-vax rhetoric and then you have to come at it as a government saying the vaccine's here, you should take it. How do you overcome the issue of looking like you're pushing a, a big pharma um, na- narrative, I suppose. Mm. Like That's why conspiracy, or that's one of the reasons conspiracy theories are so insidious because the way you counter them is inbuilt into the conspiracy as another part of the conspiracy. Yeah. Uh, but for now, we're going to go to a totally different topic and place. It's our county this week. It is the wonderful Fermanagh. I'm thirsty for your Fermanagh facts. Well, get ready to drink at the fountain of knowledge of facts of Fermanagh. (laughs) Because here they are. The population, 62,527. Um, and that is from not our census. It's from the UK's uh, way of measuring populations. Um, it is one of the six counties of Northern Ireland. Um, the main town in, is Enniskillen. And it is bordered by Tyrone, Monaghan, Cavan, Leitrim and Donegal. A good bordering shenanigans going on there. Loads of neighbours. Um, it has no railways which is like, obviously we have a a major problem with railways. Shout out to Limerick Junction that you have to go to every time you want to go anywhere in the country. Um, But uh, the Great Northern Railway, Ireland, closed all of its lines within Fermanagh in 1957 and left it as the first non-island county without a railway service. And the closest railway station is in Sligo. Oh yeah, like Donegal. But but does that mean non-island county? Is that like a county that doesn't have islands? Uh, No, it's like... A county, so apart from islands, this county is the only one without a railway service within Don't, within the UK and Ireland. Oh, right, okay, so like, yeah. Um, whatever, anyway, yeah. Uh, it's the least populous of the North's six counties. Um, 
Per Fermanagh GAA has never won a senior provincial or an All-Ireland title in any Gaelic games. Sad. Uh, sad. <laughs> God, Donald Trump coming into me there. Um, Enniskillen, unfortunately, is most famous for its troubled history, um, including the Remembrance Day bombing of 9- November 1987. But it is now entirely safe, as demonstrated when the 39th G8 Summit was held at the Loch Erne Golf Resort a couple of miles out of town in July 2013. And I was looking up some facts and they were like, you should stay in this uh, resort, Loch Erne Resort because Obama stayed here and Putin used this swimming pool. I was like, whoa, whoa, I don't think that is your uh, selling point. Um, Arlene Foster, uh, Neil Hannon, Charles Lawson, aka Jim MacDonald from Coronation Street. Do you remember him? I loved him. I've, I've never watched Coronation Street. This is from like when I was a child. So like five years ago, um, <laughs> they're all from here. And Samuel Beckett and Oscar Wilde went to school in Portora Royal School. So um, a lot of uh, lyrical and uh, beautiful literature emerged from the Fermanagh Plains. Uh, Maguire is the most common surname, uh, which is Really sad, given that they've never won the Sam Maguire. Yeah, see what I did there? GAA shit coming through. Um, and you can climb Quilqua Mountain. Um, my Gaelic is not getting much better, um, which is known as Ireland Stairway to Heaven. And it's gone viral many times. I say it is an Instagram shrine. It is really cool. But I saw, um, and this is actually from the past. I actually have a fact that there was a big argument about having a bin at the top of the stairway to heaven. But then there was the point made as like, okay, if we put the bin there, someone has to climb it every day to get the bin to empty it. Mm. Now, so they don't have a bin up at the top. Um, There's a bizarre barber shop called Headhunters, which is in a train because the family who opened it loved barbering and trains. So they put it in a train and it's a railway museum as well. I like... I That's love, amazing. I love when shit like that comes together. Like, I love oh, loads of things. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the final thing that I want to talk about in Fermanagh is Finlock. The only reason I think in the whole world that I would like a boyfriend is to go and stay in one of those bubbles. Oh, yes. I've seen these. They look amazing. Like they're just like magic bubble things in the middle of the forest. Yeah. Like you look at the sky, like they're made for obviously like having a little intimate time in the sky or whatever. I don't know. I feel like you need a partner to go to them. And I, that, I don't say that very often. I'm like very much into the live your life. But yeah, maybe someone, maybe you all should, if you have a partner, go and stay in Finlock. Um, I once did an Indian cookery course in Fermanagh. Uh, that is not an exciting story, but I would just like to mention it because it just came into my head uh, in a place called Belle Isle. And it was, I mean, surroundings are totally stunning. Fermanagh, underrated county in terms of beauty. It is a stunning place. But what we're going to be talking about today is something good that happened but with a dark and ropey context uh, with regards to the Fermanagh um, area. And it's fracking, um, which is a topic that comes up now and then. And Ireland is weirdly central in, in terms of the global resistance, I suppose, to this. So, yes, next up, it's our main topic on Fermanagh about what the frack is going on. Okay, so fracking. We hear loads. Fracking, Una. What is fracking? Okay, fracking is a process of drilling down into the earth and then basically blasting loads of high pressure water mixture, um, including kind of sand and chemicals and stuff like that, at the rock to release the gas inside it. So it's a way of getting sly little bits of gas that are hiding when you don't have a massive deposit because obviously we are just emptying out the world of those things. It's for like smaller kind of disparate deposits of gas in the earth and the rock is fractured apart when you do this, hence the term fracking. I don't get how, hence the term fracture. Like fractured, fractured, frac- you fractured it. No, frac. frac. No, you think it has a branding issue there. 
we'll, we'll have to look at this club strategy for fracking. <laughs> um, so why is it controversial then? Okay, so it uses loads of water, which is obviously bad and also costs loads of money to transport the water to a place if there's not water nearby, etc. There are concerns of how it like fucks with seismic activity or could cause or instigate tremors in the earth weaken um the the rocks in in the earth the ground it can contaminate groundwater because of all the chemicals you're kind of pumping into the earth which could obviously escape and i suppose fundamentally existentially it is kind of a way of bleeding the earth dry of the little reserves that are left instead of concentrating on finding non-fossil fuel alternatives and continues our reliance on fossil fuels now ireland has an interesting uh history and present context with fracking um, because there was a ban on fracking brought into Ireland in 2017 and a lot of anti-fracking activism is orientated around Leitrim and Sligo. Love Leitrim is a group that campaigned tirelessly on the issue and that activism was really crucial I guess for the global movement. Um, Andrea you will remember when we were at that Naomi Klein talk and she was mentioning that a good bit um, and that kind of showing how grassroots activism can actually stop something that has become normalized in many other places, like the US, for example, is, you know, because they've really gone full tilt on fracking, they say that that kind of makes them much more secure in terms of energy reserves. But then, of course, there's loads and loads and loads of environmental concerns around that. And then if people are so focused on well, we can just, you know, blast the earth and like scoop out all of the gas from it. You're less inclined to be uh, investing in much more forward-looking ways of generating energy. Now, the reason for MANA is relevant to this conversation is because in 2016, a company called Tamboran Resources UK, they applied for a license to frack in for MANA saying that fracking there could be worth 20 billion euro over 25 years. I don't know how these companies come up with stuff. It's just like random numbers, like exactly 20 billion euro. Um, But obviously Fermanagh is just over the border. It would have been a pretty ridiculous situation to have fracking so close to a jurisdiction where it was banned. Um, There's also been other protests in Fermanagh regarding drilling, uh, particularly in Balcou, which was kind of pitched as a place for exploratory drilling. But recently, the fracking part of the licence for um, Tamboran was amended uh, after public consultation of the plan resulted in a massive 5,700 responses. So Tamboran are saying now that they no longer want to frack to look for gas in Fermanagh and instead are going to use, quote unquote, conventional drilling in shale rock if indeed the license is granted. So that's the fracking sitch and we wanted to broaden it out because also in Ireland this week, there was another victory for um, environmental campaigners. And so that's what we're going to talk about next. We're now joined by Tony Lowe's from Friends of the Irish Environment. Um, Tony, would you welcome to the show first? Thank you um, very much. Could you tell us a bit about Friends of the Irish Environment? What is it? How is it formed? Who's in it? What's the objectives? A full kind of circle here, if you will. Well, of course, it, it's it's a pretty it was certainly a pretty low low profile group. We came together in 1997. And a number of us were working in planning and environmental law, <clears throat> in particular uh, in Antashka, where I was chairing the Natural Environment Committee. But what we found was that uh, in European environmental law was not really uh, appreciated. The significance of what was happening wasn't recognized by local authorities, by planning boards, and, and by people in general. That was the year that Michael D. Higgins signed into effect the Habitats Directive. So it was very timely, and we were lucky enough to have some very bright academic people uh, who sort of were a bit ahead of the game, certainly, uh, here in Ireland. And in fact, uh, as we developed, we became more skilled at identifying the issues that where we could bring European Commission uh, legislation directives into play here in Ireland. Uh, our first high-profile case was actually one that's recurred since. It's the Dunebeg, Donald Trump Dunebeg golf course on sand dunes, which we opposed. 
And uh, we unfortunately lost that and the golf course went ahead. But obviously, as time went on, we became more experienced in, in, in dealing with, with the government and with these conflicts. And certainly during that period, uh, those first 10 years, 15 years, we had great assistance from the European Commission, uh, from the environmental directorates and from its enforcement unit. And we worked very closely with them, particularly over water quality in Ireland, for instance, which led in 2002 to a whole new system of chlorination and filtration of water. Uh, and uh, in dumps, for instance, where again, it was a commission proceedings that, that uh, eventually brought many of our illegal dumps closed. And I think many hundreds of thousands uh, of, of euros went into rectifying that, which never would have happened without the commission. So uh, as we went on, people came to us. Um, uh, one example would be, well, now, now would be Andrew Jackson, who's, who's now a lecturer at uh, University College Dublin in environmental law and author of the recent and sort of um, what you call it, the Bible of, of the development of environmental protection in Europe. And he came because he said he was in Ireland. He was waiting to, to, to begin his PhD. And he was looking for groups that were doing this kind of work and saw us and said, could he help? And on he came. And that's really the way we have grown. I think we, we were lucky in that we developed a, a good relationship with some solicitors and barristers. And, you know, they need clients that many of them wanted to see the reforms in place that, that we hope were helping to bring about. I think one of the things that's helped us uh, enormously is the the relationships that we've established with solicitors and barristers. And I think this is in part because they were very anxious to see reforms in law. They were very anxious to see Irish uh, law adopt to uh, European law. And it was a very difficult thing to do because our courts actually had to admit but there was a court that was higher than them. And we fought a revolution to establish our own right to justice. So to actually cede it in the end, when it came down to it, when a judge was faced, with, and they once said this to us at a conference with, with a, a, a solicitor who comes up, and on the one hand, there you have Irish law. And on the other hand, there you have European law. And what is a judge to do? And that was kind of the state for a long time. Now, one of the things that we worked on is to get our cases into the European Court of Justice. And, and this is done by going to the Irish courts and, and questioning the, the current framework under which Irish decisions are being made and saying, look, this doesn't accord with the environmental impact assessment directive, or this doesn't give us our rights under our access to information. And that is quite a, you know, it's quite difficult and it takes a long, long time. Speaking of a long time, on Monday, um, a 12-year legal battle um, quashed planning permission for Shannon LNG terminal. Can you tell us how that case started, what it was about, how it developed and how it got to this point? Yes, it, it, it came as a surprise to the residents of, of that uh, relatively rural area of, of County Kerry on the Shannon, that they were about to have this massive terminal uh, built on land that had to be rezoned in order to accommodate it. Uh, and uh, they refused to do any assessment of the rezoning because they said it wouldn't have any impact on the environment. And this is a massive three huge, four huge uh, storage tanks and a jetty going out into uh, right the edge of a special area of conservation where dolphins were uh, best site for dolphins in Ireland. There was all kinds of uh, uh, upset and alarm. And that led to us taking a case uh, with also a, a local resident took a case. And uh, we kind of worked in tandem uh, uh, through the through the courts and ended up arguing our case in the high court, which was one of the most miserable experiences of my life, because we had the state in many forms of board planola, the state, the minister, everybody, uh, notice parties, all had Ireland's top senior councils opposing us, 
and they hammered away at us after three days. The case was scheduled, scheduled to run for five days. After three days, the judge says, look, uh, I'm not convinced that you've got a stateable case here. And if you withdraw your case now and don't carry on and burden us for Thursday and Friday so we can go home early, then we won't worry about costs. But of course, if you insist on carrying it out to the very end, then the matter would be uh, a matter for, for me to consider. And our poor local litigant owned his own house and was really afraid uh, of losing it and so wanted to withdraw. Uh, and the state said, well, I'm afraid uh, it's not good enough for him just to withdraw. Part of his withdrawal will have to be that friends withdraws as well. So obviously we had to withdraw because we were not going to put somebody's house at risk. So we withdrew the case. Uh, it's particularly bitter now because it has been well established uh, all these years later that we were right, but the assessment hadn't taken place properly. And, and it has justified that case because what happened was they didn't build it for 10 years for a number of different reasons. And so then they went back and they said, we want an extension of time to build this terminal because, you know, economic conditions were against us and this and that and the other. Uh, and our argument is that when you have these big projects like Dublin Airport extension uh, or a big terminal like this, these strategic projects, you give them a planning permission for 10 years. And if they don't build it in 10 years, then you have to look at it again because a lot has changed. A lot can change over 10 years. In the case of that particular Shannon estuary, it, 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 a new survey in 2012 showed that the actual site of the pier was the best place for the breeding of the dolphins. And of course, 10 years on, our information about the climate had changed as well. And that was never properly considered in 2008. So the principle that these things need to be re-examined if they're extended was at the heart of the, the, the next case we brought against Shannon LNG and the one where the court uh, referred it to Europe and Europe said, indeed, you, you must look at it again when you extend the permission. Now, this is a kind of a double irony. Not only were we right uh, back in the original day about the original permission, but three years ago, we challenged the extension to the Dublin airport runway because its extension had run out of time. Its 10-year, sorry, its 10-year grant had run out of time, and it was looking for an extension. And we were defeated in the Irish court again, uh, and again told, no, 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 we don't do that in Ireland. No, 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 we can extend it all right. So it's particularly, it was particularly rewarding that when it came this time before the Irish courts, and before, I have to say, uh, a judge who has an extraordinary knowledge of environmental law, which is, you know, uh, something new, really, uh, referred to the European Court. The European Court said, yeah, you'd need to reassess it. That came back. Uh, that judgment was affirmed on Monday, and the permission for the extension was struck down. So a long time, but some very important points that actually do come out of it, so that it, it, it for us, it was very much worth worthwhile, I think. And, and I think a lot of people across Europe are, are also have also watched this case with, with great interest because there are things like nuclear power plants and uh, uh, a great uh, hydroelectric projects, for instance, that, that, that we'll find now that uh, they must be very carefully analyzed and the environment, we hope, will get more protection than it did. What um, do you think the, the proposal for the Shannon LNG, the terminal there, says about our relationship with the reliance on fossil fuels and, you know, imported fracked uh, gas and things like that? I, I think it's at the root of it, really. We have to, we have to change. Everybody agrees we have to change. And the way you get off fossil fuels is not to lock yourself into them. Now, there's a huge, uh, um, what would I call it, pressure group from industry uh, to, 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 to import gas, to make gas the basic fuel of Ireland into the foreseeable future. And that is, is, is really threatening because we need to change very quickly. We need to get those wind farms out in the ocean. We need to get our solar panels up. Uh, we need to take the excess energy and that comes when the sun shines too much or the wind blows for too long and turn that into hydrogen gas. We need to 
do all of these things immediately. And putting all this money into nuclear and putting all this effort and energy into gas is going in exactly the wrong direction. And it's slowing us down and, and it's making it less and less likely that we can prevent what you can only look on as a, a catastrophe for, for the kind of world we've built with its airports all along coastlines, with its power plants down by the seashore. One meter sea rise is not that far away. And you can have a look at a map now and realize what that's going to mean. It can't be stopped. There isn't any technical device that we can suddenly come up with that's going to suck all the carbon out of the air and turn things back again. It's not going to happen. What do you think, um, since the Greens have gone into government, has that have has having them in government been a positive thing or had any positive effect so far? It's very difficult to say. Certainly, in the areas that you know that I'm deeply involved in at the moment, uh, I can't I can't see see that 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 um, that there are changes coming in place. But having said that, it, it is early days, and perhaps there are uh, you know ducks feet moving under the water. But it is a very you know, it is a very specific thing. It comes down in the end to to uh, local authorities, uh, planning permissions, uh, forestry proposals, aquaculture proposals. It's actually, you know, those bottom changes on the ground. And unless you can affect them, unless they can be put into a framework which is going in the right direction, uh, then no, because the local authority is reliant on rates. And where does it get rates? It gets rates by saying yes when businesses come. It is sees itself as a development agency. What does the Department of, of Agriculture see itself as? As a development agency. These are what they are, these are what they believe. They genuinely believe that that is their primary responsibility. And to, to, to make them realize that their primus, primary responsibility is sustainable development is a very is a very different thing. Uh. Finally, before we let you go, um, is there any other cases you have in the works at the moment that you'd think we should know about? That's that's a great question. <laughs> I wish you should know about all of them. I'll tell you about one that just arose up now because it's. It, it, I wouldn't say uh, that it was perhaps the most fundamental problem we're looking at, but it's... Uh, I suppose the most important thing that we are involved in is what's known as Climate Case Ireland, which is a lovely example of, of how the public can become involved in these things. Because from the very outset, we didn't want it to be friends of the Irish environment, you know. We wanted people to take the ownership of it. And people who helped us a lot in Holland uh, in an organization called Urganda, which had which had actually was bringing its own case was involved in there. Uh, they 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 helped us uh, set up what we called Climate Case Ireland, which had its own website, and we had a little you know a core team. We got uh, ten thousand euro from Patagonia, so we could have a little project proposal and hire someone for eight hours a week uh, at the key moments. And the thing grew and grew and grew, uh, and we had an extraordinary crowd of people who, who, who were putting it all together, who put the social media side together, who, who, who worked as really as, you know, as a whole crowd. <laughs> they were just absolutely stunning. Uh, and they were in touch with the university environmental groups, and in turn, we were in touch with the children's groups. And, uh, they had demos, and Mary Robinson came, and, you know, it was, it was wonderful. It was, uh, when we reached that court, and when, when the, the hearing took place in the, I think it was a three-day hearing in the High Court. It was inspiring. The courtroom was packed. There were grandparents, there were babies, there were delivery drivers, there were guys in suits, there were TDs sitting cross-legged on the floor listening to a debate, which was a very serious debate about climate in our courts. It was truly inspiring and, and a great example of what we can do here in Ireland through our democracy and through our court systems. So that has been extraordinary. And then, although we lost in that high court case, we went, we appealed to the Supreme Court. And we actually won in the Supreme Court and had them say that the government had failed 
in their national mitigation plan to do what they were supposed to do, which was to put down how we were going to get to zero carbon by 2050. And they said they wanted it to be specific, and they wanted it to be so that an ordinary person could read that plan and know how we were going to reduce our emissions. How much is agriculture going to give? How much is industry going to give? How These are the questions, and they were not there. They were not. That plan didn't actually plan to reduce anything. They admitted in the Supreme Court that that plan intended that we would buy our way out of it. We would buy emissions at the end of it. It wasn't a plan to reduce emissions at all. But of course, the government, and this is the key to this case, the government said, this is policy. This is our policy. The courts cannot interfere. It, it's a breach of the separation of powers. You, can, you can't do this. If you judge, if you, if you strike this plan down, this is our policy. Well, what will happen then? We'll come back with another one. And Friends of the Irish Environment will bring us back to the high court again. We, we can't run the government this way. You have to leave us to do our own policy. And the court said, as soon as you made that policy into a legally binding national mitigation plan, it stopped being policy. It started being law. And Friends of the Irish Environment have the right to review it. So in a sense, we were given a role till 2050 of reviewing the government's plans. And if they do not do what they say they do, then we can take them back to court. Well, that sounds inspiring and amazing. So keep up the good work. And it was great to talk to you. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. Well, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. Andrea, I need to know what is getting in the sea. Okay, so I was going to go full throttle on the absolute petty point scoring discourse in the doll debates, but we kind of covered it already. And there's more to life than just what goes on in the doll chambers. So we widened it out um, to two other things. Uh, Wild Mountain Time, which we've also spoken about, is in absolute bits. Like, the most in bits part of it is because you, you want to be like, why don't they just hire Irish actors? Um, and then the person with the worst accent actually in it is Irish. Um, and you have to wonder how has he got his own accent wrong? Jamie Dornan. Yeah. Um, but there's like, I mean, these things, I just think half the crack is ripping the piss out of them as well. You know, like a film is there to be enjoyed in whatever way it is. And that film is right up my strata. I can't wait to watch it. Um, but the thing that's actually getting in the sea is the Mary Wollstonecraft statue. Do you want to take it away? This silver uh, piece of art where she's a tiny miniature figure naked at the top. <laughs> well, I think you've kind of covered it right there, Andrea. So this was a long-awaited statue is of um, Mary Wollstonecraft, who's kind of viewed as one of the found, founding mothers of, of uh, feminist philosophy. And uh, the statue was unveiled to reveal... Um, After her, years of fundraising. Her naked, basically. Um, and it just seems a bit inappropriate considering the context. Um, so I kind of feel like I love when there's... I love all kinds of statues of all varying qualities. Um, but especially, just, especially the one of, what's your man's name with the red hair? Lou Kelly. That's amazing statue. I love that. Now Andrea is shaking her head on the Zoom I do, here. I think it's a very, very recognisable one, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I kind of feel like it's getting in the sea, but with love. Do you know what I mean? Well, it's kind of annoying because she's known for her mind and it's been brought right back down to the body. And there has been conversations about how it's her, her like self emerging from the patriarchy with and other woman's bodies from that. It's like, I don't, I have not seen one statue in Ireland of a man with his penis out. Unless they're just like generic Grecian figure. Yeah. That kind of thing. Like, and I'm not, um, I, I just want to say I'm not against that. If anyone does want to start <laughs> popping some of them in the city, I'm up for it. Double standards, Andrea. It's like every Joe Rogan podcast listener who brings up the Diet Coke, the guy in the Diet Coke ad for like bajillion years of patriarchy. It's like it was one ad. 
it was one ad where you were objectified and that was it. My favourite comment on this comes from um, Roisin Agnew, uh, who tweeted, the Mary Wollstonecraft statue teaches us that you can be beaten by your husband, be the grandmother of Frankenstein, a leading feminist intellectual from a humble background, die at 38 and still make time to work on your abs and grow your bush out. I am inspired. <laughs> well, I think we, we can all agree it can get in the sea. What is bananas? Like, okay, I am becoming like Leo Varadkar. <laughs> I've always said it. So the amount of space that's in his mind for Sinn Féin is becoming the amount of space that's in my mind about Fine Gael's con strategy. So this is going to be the last time I put it into the sea or make it bananas because I think it's time to let it go. They're on their journey um, and I bid them adieu. But what? Like, and I have a lot of time for a lot of people in Fine Gael. But this shenanigan is just like making me think they are just the most petty, virulent, awful little party. Um, and the re- one I'm talking about in particular, and they do have um, apparent attack strategy where they l- release a new one every Sunday. But uh, last night, after after Sinn Féin launched their uh, no confidence in Leo, then there's a counter motion uh, posited by the government to cha- to launch a vote of confidence. Um, and instead of letting Sinn Féin have their time to do the no confidence, they took it upon themselves to make it into the government time to limit their time, which means that the vote would have to happen on the same day, which means that instead of having the vote when they were all together in the convention centre Uh, on Wednesday that they would bring it forward to Tuesday so uh, which means that every time they sit in the convention centre it's 25 grand so that whatever they all had to go into the doll and then go okay we're all off to the convention centre because you have to decide where you're going to have your meetings in advance which they hadn't done on the on the Viking splash (laughs) (laughs) down Kildare Street across Samuel Beckett Bridge shouting at people hey (laughs) as we go past them so off they toodle into the convention centre. They have their shenanigans. Um, and then last night, Fine Gael launches this uh, <laughs> this post on Twitter. And I'm just like, sorry, are, like, did you just make this beforehand and not read the room and then make the decision to go ahead with it? Because it's an actual lie because the, it says, Sinn Féin has just wasted €25,000 of taxpayers' money with their pointless stunt in the doll tonight in the middle of a pandemic and with people's jobs and businesses on the line. Will they pay it back? Uh, and you're like, well, it's your you decided to change it. So I don't know why you're blaming them. Um, and are we putting a price on democracy and on calling shit out? I do believe that it was Leo who did this and it is up to anyone to make a, a vote of no confidence. Um, and if you're going to monetize it, and I shouldn't be surprised as they monetize everything, but now we're monetizing democracy and the opportunity to do that. I just can't believe there's somebody on their team is like, do you know what? That's still a good idea because every, if you go into it, every single quote tweet is someone going, that's an actual lie. That's, these are the facts. You're actually lying. I just don't understand. I can't see where they're going with this. So it's bananas. <laughs> that is bananas. Um, but now, Andrea, turn that frown upside down. It's time for our fave bits. What are your fave bits this week? I'm excited. I have a feeling that there's going to be a reoccurring item in here. What is it? Grand designs. Oh, <laughs> did I say that before? Yeah, oh. not this one though. Oh, well, do you know what it was? Because earlier on I was like, I don't actually have fave bits. I've done nothing. I haven't watched anything. I literally have been in my house, my mom's house, in her back bedroom, as uh, the everyone was saying, 30 and 40 year olds living in their mom's back bedroom. I was like, oh, that's me. Hi, is. Um, but so I was like really searching for fake bits. And then when I got going, I found loads. But I did have Grand Designs Abroad in there because obviously we love Kevin McLeod and Grand Designs, except abroad. What's not to love? Uh, some, some stunning buildings they made. Also, speaking of buildings, um, Dublin Bricks. This is. Uh, actually, I used to work with Gianni. He is a Lego fanatic, and he makes stat- he makes things, and he kind of has built loads of Dublin pubs um, out of Lego. 
And now he is doing this thing where you can buy a Lady on the Rock, the pieces for it, and make your own Lady on the Rock out of Lego. Unreal. And you can also make, don't you know the Dublin sign, the red, blue? Mm, you, like the Millennium one, yeah. yeah. You can buy a pack, you get a box with all the relevant pieces and you can build that yourself as well. His pub, re, or his Lego recreation of the interior and exterior of the Lord Edward pub is absolutely brilliant. They're all like they're all so good, and Grogan's like there's loads of good ones. They're like so big. Shout out to Gianni and a great idea. Um, Dublin Bricks is the name of the thing, is it? Yeah. Um, another. Oh, obviously I couldn't go a week without a bit of nature creep again. Um, and Devil's Glen in my home county of Wicklow. Um, they have this thing called Sculptures in Woodland, and it's an amazing thing of like making people think of a gallery space as something else, which is one of my favorite things, but, um, they add a sculpture every year. So, and it builds up and they last forever, but there's loads of great sculptures to go and look at. So shout out to Devil's Glen. Also, oh my God, I'm sweating. And I've, I I made a decision during lockdown that I wasn't going to engage in like gigs and things online because it's just it just breaks my heart because it makes me feel really sad of where we could be and what we could be doing. But I'm making an exception for Roshi Murphy. She's got a gig on Saturday night. It's with Mixcloud. So you sign up for a ticket and you're sent a link or whatever. But she is, has been talking about pushing all these boundaries of like between art and performance and how and film and theater and all that jazz. So I think she'll deliver on making it an experience that isn't just a gig on Zoom, essentially, um, or Mixcloud, as the case may be. So I'm really excited about that. Also, Ruth Medjbers, uh for her book, Twilight Together, the pictures of um, people in their living rooms. Uh, during the last lockdown, she's been, she made a living room to launch it. Um, and she's been, she's doing live streams every week on Friday nights. So that's brilliant. And then the last thing, oh my God, I found a lot of things to love, didn't I? Um, Maintenance Fades is a podcast and the last episode they did is called Moon Juice and it's about the wellness industry and like the crock of shit that we're being served and uh, delving into the goop world. But it's just a really good listen and I would recommend. Fab, totally going to get on that. My fav- what are your favourites, Una? Well, Andrew, I'm glad you asked. It is... Christmas card season and considering that we are many of us apart or far away from each other I'm just going to buy a fuckload of Christmas cards and I'm just going to that'll be my mindful act every day for the next while of just writing Christmas cards to everyone I do love uh sitting at my desk and engaging in my correspondence and so this is a, a good way to do that um other fave bits Live Venue Collective is a new collective of venues around the country. Obviously, really, you know, there's been like a lot of like sad and difficult stuff and venues have been struggling loads. So this is a good news story that 23 venues that are spread regionally throughout the country were given funding to host 16 events each to be able to get money directly into the pockets of local artists and arts workers. So there'll be loads of venues that you're familiar with um, all around the country. You can check them out at livevenuecollective.ie. So I think that's great. Well done to them. Good idea. Yeah, really great. Um, People in D3 will be very excited at the opening of Lots & Co, uh, which is crossing the Liffey and uh, from, where is it? Like kind of beggar's bush rings Andy uh, and uh, it just got me thinking you know Andrea I about uh, I couldn't help but wonder about the food shop boom obviously a lot of cafes and restaurants um, have been being are being very creative and inventive about how to survive and thrive and keep the connection with their customers and keep suppliers uh, goods selling and just this food shop boom I think is an interesting a knock-on effect of the pandemic. Um, and and like, I think we're beginning to value really good produce uh, in a different kind of way. So that's interesting to me anyway. Yeah, um, Rilaton has even turned into a food shop. I'd mm. much rather be swinging out of people I don't know though, <laughs> rather than swinging out of a tomato. 
<laughs> but speaking of food, friend of the pod, Anthony Remedy, launching a new uh, project, a man with the man with a million ideas, backtodine.com is a collaboration with uh, different chefs uh, for like really high-end um, food boxes. Uh, so like if you want like a multiple multi-course dinner uh, at home of really, really great produce uh, designed by excellent chefs. If you've got like a special occasion coming up or something like that, I think this is going to be your jam. Backtodine.com is that one. Check it out. It really looks phenom. Uh, what else is going on? Um, after your I back love, to dine. I love what? you asked yourself a question. What else is going on there? <laughs> well, the Irish <laughs> IFI. <laughs> Thanks, Andrea. I really appreciate that nice critique of my um, presenting skills. Um, the IFI French Film Festival is happening this week. Uh, ifihome.ie go watch some films and finally uh, artistworkspaces.ie so this is an initiative of Dublin City Council where they are trying to figure out how to put more creative spaces in the liberties obviously we're constantly banging on about what we perceive to be bad and unhelpful development in the liberties uh, in terms of student accommodation uh, luxury student builds and hotels and crap like that but uh so this is something actually positive artistworkspaces.ie is where you can register your interest if you're an artist who lives in the liberties or if you're from the liberties and not an artist or you're kind of just invested in this area and want community-led uh creative spaces that really respond to and add to the cultural fabric of somewhere check out that artistworkspaces.ie they're doing kind of a consultation at the moment and those are my fave bits. Lovely and this, bits. This Fermana podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan at Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all of our design. You can find links to all our socials on our website, unitedirelandpodcast.com. If you aren't listening, let us know. Or better yet, give us a review contentious as they are um, if you have any suggestions for subjects you'd like us to look at for an episode drop us a mail or a DM share our vibes on Twitter and Instagram and in real life if you have the luxury of talking to people let them know that they should listen to us just shout it at passing cars <laughs> that's my brand strategy <laughs> um, now our tuna chicken roll, our little techno interlude went down very well last week. So Una um, suggested this absolute tuna chicken roll, another techno number um, of Apricots by Bicep. I've been Una Malali. I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland. And that was... Fermana! Fermana! Fermana!